Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Moth. Welcome back to the Masters of Modern Podcast. I am your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host, Ben Bateman. What's up, everybody? I've been introducing uh, 10 Minutes of Modern now for weeks, uh, and I every time, because Alex is officially the founder and host of this show, and I'm the co-host, I always have to say, like, and uh, the founder and host of the Masters of Modern Podcast when I introduce him. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, funny. It's, what's fun is I try and do what I just did completely differently every single time. Right. I don't know if people notice that. You try to just change it up? Yeah, every time. To be like a wild card. Yeah, sometimes I'm like, I do an NPR style. Yeah. Sometimes, okay, we can we can get past this. Yeah. Uh, so today we're doing our set review of Ixalan. Yeah. Uh, uh, you did not get the play in the pre-release. I did not. Uh, the, I had uh, uh, family things going on. I did. I got the play in one. Um, I did not do so well, but I mm. blame partly myself. Uh, I think that I... Uh, didn't made some play mistakes in one mm. of my games. Uh, I also would blame my pool. Uh, I had a rare in every color, including yeah, one tough. land I and one that. artifact. Uh, I did get the like. Luckily, I played one of the three color tribes, so I got to play my red, green, my red. All you know, th- five of my rares because I played the land, the artifact, and all three. Or no, I didn't play the blue one. I played just red and black. Did you play dinosaurs? Uh, no, I played um, pirates. Oh, okay. pirates. Gotcha. Arr. Right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, pirates yeah. are sweet. Uh, I do love dinosaurs more. The right. pirates, like in life, uh, and that might come up. It won't, because not neither none of those are my top five. But uh, today we're gonna do go through every card we think might be playable in modern by color uh, and talk about each one. And then uh, something we're gonna start doing for the next ten weeks is me and Ben are going to battle our top fifty movies of all time. But that'll be at the tail top end. Top fifty favorite movies yes, of all time. Yes, yeah, yeah, not the We've, best. We, this was a this a conversation started. I don't know if you guys it's remember. Totally favorite. Like there's a totally different list I would have here if this was best. Six months ago, I started. Uh, you know, when it, when I was started doing ten minutes of magic, I was also doing another station called fist pump film club and i was i at that point i came up with my 50 favorite films of all time and i was counting them down one at a time uh, on top 50 tuesday but that station is now defunct so uh that list never got fully exposed unless you follow one of the facebook groups that follows team action so anyway uh, alex did the same thing now and we are going to start uh, counting backwards our favorite 50 movies yeah uh but before we do that let's get into stuff white cards Start with white cards. Oh, you don't want to do our callouts real quick? Oh, you, yeah, you can do callouts. Right, the callouts. Yeah, yeah. If you guys want to agree or disagree or yell at us or get on board or whatever, you can follow us on Twitter uh, at the MMCast. You can follow me at Ben Bateman Media. You can follow Kess at Kess Wiley. Um, we are on Collected.Company. That's where you can find the podcast. That's yep. alongside the Command Zone. Uh, who? My goodness, are they doing good content right now? Command Zone itself is awesome, but then Game Nights. You go look at their numbers on YouTube, and it's like that's like a TV show. It's like that's like it's like like five hundred thousand hits, and they're yeah, like full yeah. episodes. Uh, at least like long episodes of gameplay. Uh, they're doing great, so check that stuff out. They do a great job. Uh, we have a Patreon, which is what we use to buy this Zoom recorder. You guys are hearing us on now. Yeah, it so. sounds better now. Yeah, and by really that nice. I mean it's working. Yeah, yeah, we were definitely in trouble there for a while. So uh, please check out the Patreon. Remember, if you donate to, to the and we remember, I will thank you personally in the Fatal Voice. Um, that's a thing that we do because there was a web series that I played a vampire. Correct. So he says to you, thank you. Yes. In, in the voice of Fatal. And uh, I think that's, that's just $1. You don't even have to donate that much for that one. There's also real. higher levels that <laughs> also comes with stuff. 
But that one specifically is like you the can best write one. a piece of dialogue for me to say anything you want, yeah. as long as it's appropriate. No, and then uh, the last thing, guys, is as you already heard, and Alex was on this a couple times this week. Uh, Ten minutes of modern is the the daily station on Anchor, which is like Twitter meets podcasting. Download it; it's free. Anchor.fm. If you listen to the content through the app, uh, it'll help the app keep going, and we get to give you an extra hour of free content every single week. So check out Ten Minutes of Modern on Anchor. Uh, let's talk about the set. All right, so we're gonna do we're gonna do the white cards first. Uh, those. Because we're going to go in Wooburger order, because we are not insane people. Uh, the first one is Legion's Landing. Uh, and we might get into this conversation now fully, but this is one white uh, for a flip card, uh, Legendary Enchantment. Uh, when Legion's Landing enters the battlefield, make a 1 1 vampire, white vampire token with lifelink. You flip it if you have three or more creatures attacking. The land on the other side is tap to make one white mana or two and a white tap create a 1-1 one, one vampire token with lifelink. So similarities to uh, Gideon creature flip Planeswalker um, in the one mana does yeah. something, flips on the attack for three. It's got that same trigger as Windbrisk Heights. Uh, it's interesting It's interesting the way that they have continued to, to sort of develop uh, things around that. Uh, the idea that you have to have three white or three creatures in white attacking and then when you do, something happens. Um like certainly interesting to pay attention to. I don't really feel like modern has had a dominant deck of white one drops that are doing that, or like like a tokens deck is the closest thing we've ever had to that working. Um, I mean, black white tokens is a deck. Here's here's my deal on this one, and it's going to become I'm going to become a little bit of a broken record. This is a new card type. Yep. All these all these land flip cards because it, you know a lot of people are looking at these at the value of. Is this good on the front side? Is this good on the back side? How hard is it to get to the back side? Not looking at the fact that this is also a rampant growth in white. Just mono white rampant growth if you yeah. attack with three creatures. And right. it comes with a free... It's like a 1-1 one, one creature that has a free rampant growth attached to it in late game index that need a grindier late game. This, that can get that creature thing, it pumps out a continuous amount of white white vampire tokens. Like... It is very hard for a grindy deck to beat this type of card. It's I, I so I totally agree, and this will be the case that we when we talk about each of these things because I think they all have that sort of similar, they all have that sort of similar question mark, which is like, the, I could see this being good late game because obviously anything that's good early and good right. late is usually good in Magic. Um, they could be a little bit like clunky as far as how to properly fit them into a deck, and it might take people a little while to figure it out. Well, that's why like I, I want to point out this one because the front side is the most obvious. And easiest to put in a deck because right. it's it's just playing a one one lifelink for one right uh, in a token deck that gets pumped, yep. Or a vampire deck that wants to make use of vampires. Like both of those, there there are two tribal decks in modern. Vampires doesn't really exist yet, but the more vampires that get printed, the closer it gets. And tokens has been fringe playable since the beginning of the format because lingering souls and uh, intangible virtue are cards. And like this followed by an intangible virtue is pretty good. The last uh, the last heavy, heavy white base, like lots of one drop stack is Soul Sisters, which is definitely sure. has been a deck. I mean, it's not, it's not a prominent like, deck. The reason this is interesting to me is because of the lifelink writer. Right, definitely. Like a 1-1 one, one lifelink for one would be pretty decent. Uh, in, in, in other formats, and this and this gets benefits from its token status, its vampire status. Um, next card, Ashes of the Aberrant, one white, one colorless. Players can't cast spells from graveyards or activate abilities of gra cards in graveyards, and whenever a creature dies, you gain one life. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's about the same or a little worse than a lot of what we already have. I don't think it's really going to make a huge impact, but the, it's probably The one playable. important thing on this to remember is it's two different hate cards yeah, on one. one. So, yeah. you know, we talked about in a sideboard card that whenever you can kind of use a card in multiple ways or against different matchups that you have a use in it, it's something to take into consideration. This is good against graveyard decks, but this is also good if you have ways to kill a lot of your creatures 
to be against burn or, or, or to protect your life total against aggressive decks. Or if you're a control deck and you can kill their creatures consistently, but you just need to gain life against like a goblin deck or a burn deck right? Um, or an aggressive creature-based deck, this is a great sideboard card in that matchup. So its versatility is why it's interesting. Yeah, it's fine. I, I don't. I'm not like overwhelmed or like super crazy impressed, totally. but Agreed. it's fine. And like yeah. somebody might try a couple of these out in a sideboard. The problem with this is it doesn't like stop triggered abilities out of graveyards. It's just not. It's it's not like a big enough thing that I look at it and I'm impressed. Yep. I it's. I have a card for you though. The next one that okay. you're really impressed by. What do you got? Takatli Honor Guard. One uh, white human soldier. One three creatures entering the battlefield don't cause abilities to trigger. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is sweet. This is totally <laughs> sweet. Uh, for How lots many? of reasons. For <laughs> well, lots I of I want reasons. you to break down why you think this card is sweet. Well, okay, there's like a bunch of different reasons. So the obvious one you're talking about is because it's a two-drop that fits into a superior burning cocoa shell. So there's that. Like, oh, no, no. I think this is bad in superior burning cocoa. Because of because of Because it affects yourself. No, no, no. I think this is good in Hunted Handsome. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's fine. I mean, like, it, I, w what's good about, like, okay, because Torp Orb obviously is playable and harder to interact with, so you would just play Torp Orb over this because you don't really want Well, but want this is found by Collected Company. The like, Green White Hate Bears will play this card. A 1-3 is better than. <laughs> in, in the context of Hunted Horror, I'm talking uh, about. Uh, 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 what I do like about need, this card, you get though. get two of them now. Yeah. What I do like about this card, though, is that redundancy is important. Uh, this now means we have four two-mana abilities to, four two-mana ways in Modern to do this. I think 12, actually. Right? There's, there, there, isn't there? This is the third card at two that does this, I think. I thought this was the second. Maybe it's the second. The other one's the three drop, Hushwing Griff. Yeah, it's a three drop. Um, but long story short, I definitely think like this is a powerful effect. A lot of what is good in modern historically has been ETB. Like Snapcaster Mage. Yeah. Um, just over time, there's been so many. Restoration Angel. Right. And like, uh, I mean, yeah, we're we're obviously blanking right now, but like it's. I it's, mean, all of Counter Company. That yeah. isn't the Counter Company part of it now. The Counter part. Yeah, it's been, it's just been good for years. Um, Spell Queller. Yeah, this is great. This card's good. And yeah. the fact that it's two is is aggressive. The fact that it's two, that if you if you suit it up or you can get a counter on it or I think it's way, relevant it to human, too. Like, that Hate Bear deck is getting closer to Mayor of Averbrook being, like, an right. interesting card in it. Well, the fact that with a Mayor of Averbrook, this is a 2-4, which becomes Bolt resistant. Doesn't um, kill the Mayor, but... Well, yeah, okay, but you still have your guy. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. This card's good. It's I don't I don't think this card's gonna break the format, but this this card I'll definitely see play. Yeah, we'll see a ton of play. Yeah. I I would guess that this is in the top five, if not top three, most played cards in the f in, in the modern set. from yeah, this yeah, set. Yeah, I agree. Um, speaking of hate birds, we're leaving hate bears and going to hate bird land. Kinjali's Sunwing, two and a white dinosaur flying creatures your opponents control under the battlefield tapped two three. Yeah, it's it's um it's fine. It's it's fine, but it, it's unfortunately like just not as good as three mana Thalia. Right. Uh, that card's just way better, and this card is like just. <laughs> this would this card would be more interesting to me if Splinter Twin was still around. It's not the because they can just do the like end step trick that you normally can do, but it makes them cast stuff at sorcery speed. Yeah. And they have, you get an entire turn of being able to get rid of it, so it makes stuff a little bit better for right. you. So from that perspective i think it's interesting totally because they can't go infinite until the end of your turn after casting splinter twin so right. you have an entire extra turn to kill them or stop them um so in that world that's good now it's not as good yep um all right settle the records this is not really our pick for something that i think we'll see a lot of play but people have mentioned it to me a lot online and in person uh this is two white white instant exile all attacking creatures target player controls that player may search his or her library for that many basic land cards, put those cards on the battlefield, tap, then shuffle their library. People are interested in this because 
of comparisons to Path and Wrath and all those things, the attacking trigger just kills this card for Do me. Do people call this Path of God? Is that what I've been hearing? I've, I've heard that. Yeah, right. Um, God, yeah, no, I just I don't think it'll see any play in Modern. It's just too it's too big of a swing. It, it's it's They fine. have to be attacking you, and there are so many ways in this format that aggressive decks don't need to attack you to kill yeah. you that uh, it seems like I would just play Wrath of God every time. Yeah, agreed. And you, they get a bunch of lands. You ramp them. Like... <laughs> All right. That's white. Those are the white cards. All right. All right. Ready for blue? Let's do it. Ready for probably my number one pick for most played card in the entire set. Is it going to be the steal a creature thing? No, no. It's opt. Oh, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. I'm, I'm opting sure, to talk sure, about sure. opt. Uh, one blue, opt, instant, scry one, draw a card. We've actually talked about this card quite a bit on this cast because every time we talk about preordain or ponder, we always ask, well, what, is opt okay to reprint into modern? Well, now we'll find out. Yeah, we talked about that a lot, actually, a lot. That, yeah. was, a, that was a very a very consistent topic of conversation for us for, like, many years, and it was always, like, that cute, clever thing where, like, well, a lot of people don't uh, re realize or remember the card opt, but Alex and I definitely do, and then, like, now it's just everyone's going to remember yep. opt. The whole format is going to be defined by it. Oh, man, you just got real echoey Sorry for a second. about that. Yep. Uh, this card's great. I mean, I think it'll see play in... Well, this is the real conversation is preordain or this. And uh, A, I think the start out... Do you mean serum visions or this? Yes, yes, I did mean that. Uh, serum visions or this. And I think the real conversation is not even that. It's does it play Snapcaster Mage? If the deck plays Snapcaster Mage, you play Opt. Yeah, I think it's fair. Uh, if you're looking for a specific combo please, you play Serum Visions. Serum Visions is great at setting up your next turn to win. Yeah. This Opt is, also Opt is great for letting you keep your hand not tapped out playing counter magic and then using this at the end of your opponent's turn. This also will not be this will not be um Serum Visions five through eight in decks like Ad Nauseum that want to dig deeper. I think they will continue playing Sleight of Hand. Yeah, I think Sleight of Hand is still better if you're because the point is with Sleight of Hand and with Serum Visions, the decks that are playing Sleight of Hand and Serum Visions want more cards deeper in their deck. Right. They they're looking for a piece. This doesn't isn't as good at looking for a piece. What this is good at is making sure your draws are better and making your deck more consistent while also offering instant speed effects. Right. Which is, like, really important. Do not get us wrong. The amount of times I've felt terrible about myself casting Snapcaster Mage as yeah. a sorcery speed thing is is uncountable. Uncount yes. Like, the, 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 old, the old Snapcaster Serum Vision's uh, main phase thing is, like, just, like, a a real case of the feel bad. Because like, just like you do it and then you draw mana leak off of Serum Visions and you're just like, ugh. <laughs> it's just like how many times in Modern in those decks that are doing that do you have like the additional two mana open still or like three mana right. to like really do anything relevant? What ends up happening usually is you're like gambling because you're like, okay, well, you know, I'll, I'll hit this land drop that'll make my turn five better, but now I only have one mana open and right. I have to hold, I have to pretend I have a spell pierce or something. It's like... And it's always totally worth it because... That's really good. Now you get to do that at instant speed, which makes it better. I have a list already on my phone that's like four Snapcaster Fage, four Cryptic Command, four Spell Queller, four Opt, four yeah. like just like mono. I'm not going to like Drago, and like that's sweet. I'm happy that exists. I mean, it's obnoxious to play against. Well, but I don't think it's good. <laughs> well, I, I definitely think I think there will be versions of this type of deck that will be good, but I think my list is not. I think you want some. People have tried playing Think Twice in Modern before. Yeah. It's a people think people try to do sometimes. Yeah, and I, I know that Opt doesn't create card advantage in the way that Think Twice eventually does, but it costs one. Yeah. So <laughs> I'll, I'll play Opt over Think Twice any day of the week. Totally. Well, and it does with Snapcaster Mage. Yeah. Uh, next, this is a uh, one blue, zero three, uh, Trilobite. Seven blue, sacrifice your keepers, draw cards. The only reason this is on here is because I'm really excited that there are trilobites in Magic. Yeah, what the hell on. is a trilobite? It's uh, it's like the old 
there's like you know the the history of the world like the first species where they're all oh, like yeah, snow okay. crabs or whatever yeah or horseshoe crabs it's like that that's what that a trilobite era. is that's a trilobite <laughs> super hyped okay moving on moving on <laughs> this is more of a card for you a siren storm tamer one blue siren pirate wizard flying sacrifice siren storm tamer counter target spell or ability that targets you or a creature you control one one yeah, I, I really like this card. Um, we, you and I talked pretty extensively about this already, though. It's unfortunately, it's the it's one of the most expensive cards from the set uh, as far as uncommons. It's a dollar twenty three. People are hyped on this card. <sighs> it's good. The issue with this card. So here's the thing. In standard, I could see there being a pirate deck that is a thing, and this could be an important card in that deck. Sure. In modern, this doesn't replace any of the things that are similar in a way that actually feels like you're gaining anything. This like, thing has a lot of creature types, and none of them are very relevant to yeah, modern. Well, because like the, the cards that it's most similar to are like are like uh, Mausoleum Wanderer, Judge's Familiar, uh, Curse Catcher. Like, but all of those are better for one reason or another. I think this is better in Grand Architect decks. Like, y if you've been looking for a good one-drop in Grand Architect, this is a much better card than those. Why? Because it can protect Grand Architect and also can be tapped for mana. It's a, it's a, it's a, like, versus Curse Catcher, which kind of can protect Grand Architect, but kind of can't. Like, this straight up makes it so they, you have a blue spell in your deck that can act as a version of Spellskite. And, I mean, I, that was, that was, that was like sort of my initial thought with this card, but unfortunately for all of us, that, <laughs> that's only a very, very, very fringe part of the format. And, sure, like, even totally. that, even that, like, I'm pretty sure those blue steel decks were playing Mausoleum Wanderer, right? So uh, yeah, I believe so. And Mausoleum Wonder is just better. Yeah, I mean, no, because you're not playing spirits in the deck, so it's sure. not going to necessarily be that much better. But it flies. Yeah. So okay. So ma so maybe this replaces that. But the problem is Mausoleum Wonder sacrifices for free. Yeah. Whereas this, you have to Cost pay one to sacrifice it, which is totally. a huge, huge, huge like that's a speaking big of ten minutes of modern. There yeah. was an entire episode on that where we talked about this, and our positions were switched because I was all about hating on this card, and now yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. It is funny. Uh, moving on. Uh, chart. A course, one blue, one colorless, draw two cards, then discard a card unless you attack with the creature this turn. Uh, I love this card. This I is think one of the most card powerful cards put in the set. It is, is insane. I think I would spend two mana to do draw two cards, discard a card uh, it, without being able to just keep both of those cards. Yeah, it's uh, this This card's going to make an impact. This is... Um, like it's, this, it's, like it's, Delver esque decks, obviously it's good in, but just like casting this and then discarding a Lingering Souls makes me real oh, happy. Oh, man. I mean, just... <laughs> Like, honestly, um, I was talking yesterday about somebody brought up something and it reminded me of the old the old Sahili Sahili Sun Titan decks that we were talking about when Sahili got printed. Yeah. And I was talking about like there's a lot of cards in magic that are legal and modern that are good that you make you that, that, that you uh you discard a card. And because that's what you want with the Sahili deck is you want to just discard one of your Sahili's early. So sure. when you play the second one, right? Like, yeah. This card to me fits directly into that strategy. Yeah. Like it's if if you're just sitting there playing this like sort of controly strategy, like I don't know, this card's good. I think sure. I think this card's gonna yeah. be very good. I think, I think this card's really good. I think this is also in my top five, if not top three, picks for the set. Is it is the discard ability a may or it, it raid means that you don't discard it? Uh, draw two cards and discard a card unless you attack with the creature this turn. It's not a may. Okay, so you don't get to use it as a looter if you attacked. So like, you play it before attacking. Well, I'm Not just like saying, you're if, like, you're, if you're trying to play like some sort of instant speed end of, I, I didn't know if it was May because like if sure. it was May, then it would be a little, but that'd probably be too good because then you could actually control yeah, it too, yeah. con too reliably. Yep, I, I, I think this card's still bonkers. I don't think that May is going to be the deciding factor. Card's good. Yep. 
Uh, entrancing Melody, X blue blue, sorcery, gain control of target creature with converted mana cost X. This card's uh, good. This card's really good. I mean, it's probably, it, this is probably the best card in the set, honestly, for modern. I think this is probably. No. No way. It's not better than Opt. It's not better than. I would say this isn't even better than the card we just talked about. I think this card's really good. Uh, opt doesn't count because it's a reprint. So I'll give you that Opt being in modern is good, but I'm but it's not a new card. It's um, a new card for modern. Yeah, but but this is an actually new card. Um, and some of the other ones we talked about, what I think you're not acknowledging about this card is. So you're saying if the card printed Force of Will on a set, it wouldn't count for the well, best card. Op, but Opt is modern. nowhere near the power level. I'm just, okay, well, fine. Put Opt in a different category then. <laughs> new, best new card printed. Okay. Uh, the reason I say so is the best deck in the format has a one drop that's a 13-13. Sure. And f and this either steals it and it dies because your life total's wrong, mm -hmm. or it steals it and it's big because your life total's low, but it permanently steals it. And if it's not that, like, Modern is just full of one and two drop powerhouses. Just stealing a Tarmogoyf. Yeah. I mean, and it's permanent. It's, yeah. not, it's not Sour of Temptation. This card's very good. I, I think it's really good. I mean, I look at, and I'm forgetting what it is, but what's the two blue, 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 one enchantments, mind control, a two drop? Oh, um, Threads of Disloyalty. Yeah, Threads of Disloyalty is one of the classic sideboard cards of Modern, and this scales better than that. Like, late game, yep. this is better, uh, just structurally. Totally. Uh, is Snapcasterable. Is permanent. There's no way to, like, abrupt decay exactly. the way the thing. Like, I, I, I definitely think this card is awesome. Don't yeah. Do not get me wrong. Uh, I just think that Opt, maybe the card draw spell we just talked about are better. Right. Um especially since Threads of Disloyalty Clactily is a cyborg card. This doesn't have to be, though. Like, I could play one of these in a main deck. Yeah, no I think problem. so, too. Because how many decks is this totally irrelevant against? Against, like, Storm is and Dredge, it's, like, bad against. But against Storm, you can steal their Electromancer, and against Dredge, just, like, fine. But there's a ton of cards in every deck that are dead against Dredge. <laughs> I think it, as, a, as, like, a one-of main deck, this card's totally fine. Yeah, it scales well. Um, all right, next. Perilous Voyage. Blue, colorless, instant, return target, non-land permanent. You don't control to its owner's hand. If it's converted mana cost two or less, scry. Uh, I've seen a lot of just, this is a sideboard card for Storm decks or just a, a different version of the bounce all permanents of the same name. Well, uh, you mean Echoing Truth? Echoing Truth. Just because, but this doesn't bounce all permanents of the same name. You're just saying it's just, just as, as a slot in, as a good sideboard. Is like it better to get rid of multiple hate cards or to be able to scry for for effect? the effect you're looking for as a combo deck? Um, I don't know. This card to me just looks like sort of generic, common, uncommon, printed a new set that we pay attention to because it's new that no one's going to pay any attention to in two weeks. That's that's I, I, I had this on my list and then took it off my list because I was just like, no one's going to play this card. Okay. Um... I think it has a chance of seeing play. Um, River Sneak. Blue, colorless, can't be blocked, Merfolk Warrior. Whenever, Whenever another Merfolk on his battlefield gets plus one, plus one. It's another one of these ones where I look at it and I want this to be good. I just don't think it is. I think this is a better two-drop for Merfolk than any of the... Without, like... Than any other card printed. In, in the new set. set? In the new set. I don't agree. I don't agree. We're going to get to the <laughs> other ones? Okay. Yeah, the green one's better. I, no, I think this is better than the green one. Because you don't have to go into green. <laughs> like, I think they're comparable. I think a unblockable 3-3, three, three, theoretically, every turn or more, if you're going off, is pretty decent. This costs two, though. Sure. So think so about it. the green one. Yeah, okay. But so the green one gets bigger. Oh, you're talking bigger. about the one-drop green one. No, I'm talking about the two-drop. Yeah, yeah. The two-drop gets bigger the turn you play it, or you draw a card off of it. It's mm, one I've or been the playing, other. I've been pl I played Explorer at the pre-release. Explorer's yeah. good, and it's a sweet mechanic, and I love how grindy... 
it is and how value-oriented this set is with treasures. But I think that it doesn't hit in a reliable enough way for it to be worth it. Well, in the let's long just run. talk about this and the green one at the same time then, because that makes the most sense to talk about the two of them together. Um, this one, the reason I don't see it being good is because you have to play it, and then you have to have another card on turn three. It's, it's whenever another Merfolk enters the battlefield, right? Sure. So you have your card enter, and it becomes a 2-2 two, two unblockable, and then a 3-3. Three, three. But the issue is that with Merfolk for Modern, you don't actually care about unblockable the same way you don't care about flying, because Island Walk is what you're going for, and you have Spreading Seas to, to create that. So your deck is all centered around the fact sure. that your creatures are basically unblockable anyway. Okay. So the effect here is just a 1-1 one, one that becomes a 2-2 two, two on turn 3, whereas the other one potentially is a 3-2 on turn 2, which is going to attack for 4 on turn 3. Which okay. to me is just better, and the pound for pound make your merfolk deck bigger and fatter and more aggressive is just better. Sure, okay, that's fair. Or it draws you a card and still attacks for three the next turn. It does everything that deck wants. All right, next card. You just back down way too easy. Something's wrong. It's too quiet. It's too quiet in here. I just wanted to talk about it. I don't think it's. <laughs> uh, search for Azkatan. Uh, this. This is the blue one. This is the blue one. Blue colorless legendary enchantment. It's part of the obviously cycle that we're going to talk about every single one. Uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, look at the top card of your library. You may put it into your graveyard. Then, if you have seven or more cards in your graveyard, you may transform. Search for Azkatan. Uh, and then it taps for blue and as the land once it transforms and two blue look at the top four cards of your library You may reveal a non-creature non-land card from among them and put them into your hand put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order So this impulses for sorceries and instants for two blue I think these cards are classically all being undervalued. Just because it's a new, just because it's a new ability. It's yeah, and like this seems really good. <laughs> I think I don't know which one of these is going to be the best one. I think in standard, the red one is going to be the best one. If I had a shot call right now, but I think this is really powerful. I think we just talked about getting stuff in your graveyard is powerful. I think this doing it for free. I think a scry of return is powerful. I think. Do, playing this as a one of just to have and then flipping it and then being able to just instant speed draw impulse every turn is going to be powerful in control decks. I think control got a lot of useful tools between this and opt that like this is definitely a card that I can see seeing play. I don't know. Right. Uh, I mean, look, I, I think you're right. I think you're right in the sense that certainly like I think the one thing that most people are ignoring about all of these is the rampant growth effect. That's what you said yeah. earlier. And that's the thing that, the, that I've. It's really the one detail about these cards that I think like no one is just saying out loud. Like, When something happens and you flip this thing over and it turns into an untapped land, that's already going to make that turn that much more impactful. Now you start to think about the fact that you have a hard to interact with permanent on the battlefield that's creating lots of value for you. Like In, in Esper decks that are playing either Lingering Souls or Snapcaster Major, both, putting a card in your graveyard is drawing a third of a card. Yep. So... Yes, it takes three turns of this happening to draw you three of the cards, but then by the time that happens, you know, you're getting the value, but just a lucky hit off of one of those, you're now drawing an actual card. Also, late game, any of these cards you draw that are looking for a trigger, the trigger is always going to be based on something that you already have active, right. so it's going to activate end of turn, the turn you play it. The, the fact that this, like, because it flips at, when does it flip? Then if you have seven or more cards in your graveyard... It flips during your upkeep, so it, it's only going to flip at the beginning of your turn, but the fact that you get to start that turn with a rampant growth for free seems pretty insane. I totally agree, yeah. Yep. Um, next, Jace Cunning Castaway. Blue, blue, colorless Jace abilities. Uh, whenever, plus one whenever you 
or one or more creatures you control deals combat damage to a player, draw a card, then discard a card, minus two, create a two-two illusion creature token that if it's target, you have to sacrifice it, and minus five, create two co copies, tokens of Jace, Conning Castaway, except they're not legendary. Uh, three, I mean, this goes infinite with... Uh, um, doubling season? Doubling season better than any other. Well... It goes infinite with doubling season. You just make infinite Jaces, but then you don't win. No, you get one. No, then the Jaces all make two two tokens because you get two. So one goes infinite. The other one makes two two tokens. Makes so you get infinite two two tokens. Yeah, but you still don't win. They can still kill you the next turn. Yeah, like, you have to attack with. Yeah, them. right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not the same as like. Well, I guess I guess the other infinite Jace doesn't automatically win either. I guess you, you do you get four Emrakuls and cast them all. Yeah, but you have to. Well, the, you put it in play, so you don't get the extra turn. Okay. So a wrath still kills either yeah, of these yeah. strategies. But uh, I, I was trying to figure out how I felt about this one because I played against it. I would say it's slightly better than I was giving it credit for, but it's not good. Yeah, I mean that's kind of what I was thinking. Like it's it seems it seems good because I think we've learned our lesson. Every three mana planeswalker almost ever is good. Like it's pretty hard for them I to think, print. I think the worst one is a Johnny. And I think I've killed more people with that a Johnny. Double strike a Johnny. The double strike a Johnny than Card's any good. other planeswalker. Card's legitimately good. It's not good in modern, but in commander, it's insane. <laughs> Highlander, that card's yeah. like that card. That card's better than people give it credit for. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it, because because it's a permanent, repeatable double strike effect, which yeah. is like people like forget how good that can be. Yeah. Just just one shotting. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if this is the worst three mana planeswalker, but a three mana Jace is almost always going to be good. If you think about like, if you think about playing this card, making a two two. A very fragile two-two that I think most people will look at and be like, "Yeah, whatever," and then the next turn, plussing it and looting with your two-two. I think what I like about this Jace more than anything is it feels like the most Jace Jace card. The what he looks on the card, you mean? No, no, <laughs> like his ability suite. Because like classically, Jace for this at the, up to this point has just been generically good blue stuff. But in reality, like story wise and 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 on all of his other cards, yeah. he's like the illusion dude. And right. so this is the first like Jace that feels like oh he's like doing illusion. He makes things. an illusion. He's like he's more he makes an illusion. He illusion makes an illusion of himself as an ultimate. Like he's doing like cool more like what I wish this character was more in the the the, the storyline and gameplay than draw cards mill dude because I think like the mill strategy works better for other characters. I don't know. He looks on From, the card to me like part of a pirate porn. Unfortunately, uh, hey, you know <laughs> sometimes that's okay. <laughs> You know how many, you know how many, like, on the other end of that, like, fantasy girl art has, like, looked like just... Pirate porn. Pirate yeah. porn. So, yeah. like, let's, let's let the ladies get a... It's a very, very good point you make. Yep. Uh, Coppola! Warden of Waves. Blue, blue. Colorless. Legendary creature. Merfolk wizard. Uh, spells you control. Cast that target a merfolk you control. Cost... Sorry. Spells your opponents cast that target a merfolk you control. Cost two more to cast. Abilities your opponents activate that target a merfolk you control. Cost two more to activate. It's a 2-2. Two -two. Uh, it also has directed quite a few movies. Coppola? Yeah. <laughs> it's clever. Yeah, and that's what I'm doing here. That's good. Do you uh, know, just like, because now we're going to be doing this movie thing at the end of the podcast, yeah. really, we'll take a little 15-second sequitur. You know how like, bad of a career Francis Ford Coppola actually ended up having? Pretty, like, uh, yeah. Not like actually, because like, clearly the guy directed some of the most incredible films ever made, and The Godfather, by most people's standards, is the best movie ever made. And, sure. And it totally holds up. And he has five great movies, but like, okay, so there's like Godfather 1, Godfather 2, there's Apocalypse Now, and there's Last Tango in Paris. So would you say in general that a director should be judged by its, his body of work or for his best work? Uh, it's a combination, but the thing that's the, – the, the reason that I bring this up is it's not because 
by any director's standards, mm-hmm. he's a legend. I mean, because throw in The Outsiders, throw in movies like Jack. It's sure. like his career is fine. It's more like when you talk about the names, like the all-time names, the Spielbergs, Coppola has been one of those guys for years. He sure. gets thrown in the conversation. And if you really look at it, it's like it's difficult to give directors that much credit when like really the no, wealth I of their agree. career was like 15 years long. And then the other 30 years they made movies were just like kind of bad. Yeah, I, I- I think there's th- I think uh, the last thing I would say is I think age matters. I think, you know, when you go through life as you get older, things happen to you that make can, of course. can change your creative drive and why you would create something or how you would create something and then therefore you should like it's almost you should be judging directors based on an age and content and body cuz for instance, I don't think George Lucas is responsible for any of the Star Wars. I think right. he regardless of age i think he had a good team around him and his wife was very talented and his producers were very talented and he was very good at world building and pushing technology further at a time where that was needed and he was the person doing that but i don't think he's a good storyteller i don't think he's a good character built like he's not good at directing actors right (laughs) Uh, he's not good at writing dialogue he's not good at dealing with dialogue which are very important in movies so you know there's a long conversation there that we don't have to have here but oh he directed the conversation i did forget about that yeah. yeah. All right. So back to Coppola, One of the Waves. <laughs> uh, I think this will see play. I th- see where everyone on the internet who thinks Kira is stronger is is coming from. I think that the fact that this gets bigger, where Kira is a purely defensive card, and you're an aggressive deck, and this leans into the aggressive plan, is important. I think that the fact that this makes stuff like Abrupt Decay uh, much harder to cast is important. I think. The fact that it doesn't counter those things and they still have them, so once they get to the mana needed to use it is a problem. But I also think Merfolk should be killing a player quicker than allowing them to get to turn five so they can cast a Brock Decay for five or turn four. To allow, like, by the, if, if a player can't kill you by turn four, a cre- one of your creatures by turn four or five, and he now needs two spells to do it, then I think this has done a lot of the work it needs to do. Yeah, for me, um, the, the big the big reason this one stands out, it's the same thing I was talking about a second ago with uh, Island Walk. So Kira, as good as it is, and it is, and it's usually like a two of, there's an, at least, so so in a lot, of the be- a lot of the best decks, like think about some of the cards that exist that can make Kira's two extra points of damage that you would hope to push through to win the game with. Like because, it, because Merfolk is an incremental deck, right? You're, you're hoping for that big alpha swing. Like, Lingering Souls can block it. Uh, an Annoying Signal Pest or an Ink Moth Nexus can block it. Like a Spell Queller can block it. Uh, there's there's enough flyers, flo- like, you know, a Delver, just, like, sitting around that if somebody's trying to survive and get you that last four points of damage off of, like, a Bolt Snap Bolt, they can survive. Whereas this card, if it's down and you have the right Lords on the table, it's going to be four damage that's unblockable. Like, right. it's probably what's going to happen. And in my book, Three. at the end of the day, yeah, I mean, very often you have two Lords, though. Like, if you have two lords, you're winning. But yeah, sure. I mean, that's what that deck is. That yeah, deck yeah, plays yeah, like yeah. that play. That plays like thirteen or like, right, or like which eleven is why lords. I win. <laughs> yeah. So what I'm saying is like I do think that um, people are probably correct in thinking that Kira, because it's a like a little bit more permanent as far as its its defensive ability, is strong. But in my opinion, so many close Magic games come down to that last two to four points of damage, and this is going to get better get through easier than uh, Kira would. And uh, here's where I'm at on it a little bit. I think they'll play three. I'll th- I think they'll play one Kira, one this, and one Vendelian Click and call it a day. And they'll play you know X amount of Mirror Regeries and X amount of Master Ways, and that'll be your top end, and we'll, we'll kind of move on with right. everyone's lives. Um, and if you had to go down to two, I think Vendelian Click is worse than these two. 
Sort for of, yeah, for the Merfolk And I think having a versatility in answers is better than having that are like close but have variances is better than having all the exact same thing. Right. So that one is bad, you have maybe the chance of getting the good one. I guess the flip side of that, by the way, though, is that if they're attacking you with the Lingering Souls tokens, the Kira can block the Lingering Souls tokens. The, the Kira is actually a blocker. Yeah, yeah, but you're winning. It, you're losing if you're doing that? Lingering Souls is the... A deck that's playing Lingering Souls, you're winning normally through attacking them. And if you're not winning by attacking them, then you're not winning. Right. If they're, if they're, if they're using their Lingering Souls aggressively... Excluding the random decks that are like Gavity Township and Lingering Souls, the deck, but that's so I don't think that's a real thing. Uh, Dead Eye Tracker, one blue. Oh, Renat, that's blue. That's the blue cards. So we got with blue. There's right. a lot of good blue cards. Yeah. There's like four crazy good blue cards. Yep. Or there's three insane ones and one good one. Agreed. Uh, Dead Eye Tracker, black, human pirate, one one. Exile two target cards from an opponent's graveyard. Dead Eye Tracker explores. Uh, it's cards too slow. Yeah, okay. Like, I like People rely. bring it up as like, oh, this is a fixed death right shaman, and I'm like, yeah, maybe. I had it. It the fact that it's only your opponent's graveyard makes it bad. Yeah, and it's also like Death Right Shaman did a lot of things. This card just is costs two mana to activate it. Like it's it's super mana intensive, it's gonna die, it's fragile. Um Yeah. Yeah. There's flies all over this room. What's going on? Why are we I feel like we're getting attacked by a, I don't know. a tribe. Demons. <laughs> of killer flies. What's uh, going on? Speaking here? of demons, uh black wo- colorless. Argol's Blood Feast, Legendary Enchantment, pay two life, pay two mana, draw a card. At the beginning of your upkeep, if you have five or less life, you may transform it, and then it may sack a creature. You gain life equal to that sacrifice creature's toughness. The reason we're talking about this card, this is probably the worst of the five. Maybe. Uh, But A, in Death Shadow, this is something to definitely look at. Yeah, this is is the, in my opinion, this is the Mirror Breaker, like grindy win the death shadow matchup card yeah i don't know that it'll actually work but in in my mind the way of like you have a little bit of extra card advantage that's on on theme for you and then it flips and you are like all right well i have another death shadow in hand and i'm gonna gain 13 life and then i'm gonna survive and i'm gonna get down you know like i also think this is the easiest to flip it's actually kind of counterintuitive though to gain the life because it screws up your death shadow well, but you can you you sack the death shadow to gain that life. So it's like you you pay your life down to five to allow your death shadow to be beefy, and then if they somehow are able to deal with it, you can sack it, gain ten life, right? And then you're no longer behind. So like that's kind of where yeah, like sack it, gain eight life if they use any removal spell on it, or it's going to kill them. Seems like a pretty decent place to be. Interesting anyway. Yeah. Um, so I definitely think as and then you draw cards. I mean, drawing cards is good. Mm. Um, next is Wily Goblin, uh, red red for a one one. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, create a treasure token. There is one reason this card is relevant, because there is a Kadothu Red Goblin deck, and that this creates the artifact you need for that deck that isn't just playing a random artifact that isn't relevant. So right. there is a total relevance there. There is one deck this could see play in. That is pretty much all I'm out on it. All, all I'll say about that is I have been saying this now for weeks, and that is that I love that over the last few years we've had a handful of different sets that have created these just artifact things that sit on the battlefield. Um, yep. namely namely investigating to create clues and now treasures yep. because there are enough cool things in Magic's history that make great use of and reference artifacts that are on the battlefield uh, that I love to get outside of just the general idea of what artifact decks have been and start to look at like other more clever ways. Like right. I, I love the idea of a Pia and Kirinilar deck. Um, obviously, a Kodotha red deck is very cool. Right. I mean, currently in the Jun list that I am holding hostage until you give my Tarmogoyf and Bob back uh, from the community of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> I'm playing one uh, Tylus Tracker and one Kier- Pier and Kieran because of the fact that sometimes they're really good together. Right. 
Like the the deck I'm playing is very much focused on lands and triggering that, and then those that work really well. I think this, I love I love non creature artifact tokens. Right. Yeah. Me too. Love clues. Love gold. Love treasures. Keep yeah. them coming, I wizards. I love gold. Uh, all right. Next card. Rampaging Ferocidon. Two and a red dinosaur. This is another hate bird, even though it doesn't have flying. It has menace. Uh, players can't gain life whenever another creature enters the battlefield. It deals one damage to that creature's controller. Eh. I think it's a, 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 a conversation of does this work as a sideboard card in a burn deck? And I think it could. I think as, a, as far as it's an aggressive threat, 3-3 three, three for 3, that every creature they play, they lose a life. It's hard to block it, so it is aggressive. And on top of that, they can't gain life. So it's a good life gain hate card. I don't think it's that much better than Skullcrack, and I'd probably bring Skullcrack in before this. But if you're playing a zoo deck or something that wants to be more aggressive with attacking, I could see why this would see play. It's fine. Um, yeah. It, like, yeah, it costs three. If it costs three in oh. modern, it's a creature. It's pretty difficult to justify unless it's just insanely crazy good. Totally. And I forgot to say we're in red. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we are in red. We are in uh, red. Red flip land. Uh, Vance's Blasted Cannons. Red three. Legendary enchantment at the beginning of your upkeep. Exile the top card of your library. If it's an online card, you may cast that card this turn. You may flip it if you cast your third spell this turn, and it is a red land that for two and a red, you may tap it to deal three damage to target creature or player. Uh, this is the best one in standard, I think, unless one of the other ones is being undervalued in a way we're not kind of considering. But this card has the, the dragon, siege, or you chose dragon or... Uh, right, right, the sieges. The sieges. Pa the palace siege, is it, maybe? I don't know. But that one was the best one, I think, and saw a ton of standard Tower play. siege, maybe? It's a standard card. <laughs> uh... <laughs> But you could shoot cons or dragons, and the one side was this was a played a ton in standard, so I don't see why this wouldn't be, especially since it taps into a much better card. Right. Like tapping into a deal three, a lightning bolt for three land, like that's an insane card. Like look at Rumanap Red, which is a standard deck that won the Pro Tour, I believe. Uh, and it's playing that land that does two damage to a player for four. This is significantly better than that. And the backside of it, Spitfire Bastion just looks so cool. Yeah. A, foil, a foil of these flips, I'm really excited about. Oh, yeah. I, I haven't seen any cars. of them. I haven't seen any of them yet, but I, I imagine a foil of these, like, adventure Even the front side is sick. It's like a ship blowing up a mountain. Yeah. It, yeah, I'm about it. All right, we're now in the green. Green time. Cool. Kamani Speaker, one green. Uh, creature Merfolk Shaman. If you control another Merfolk, it's a 2-2. Two -two. Normally, it's a 1-1. One -one. This or is, an island, Merfolk or an island. This is the this is the the trio of Merfolk we were talking about. The, um, there's there's clearly an argument to be made here for for going blue green with Merfolk. Uh, you have a couple different you have a couple different uh, things that make it good. One of which is Collected Company. The other two now are these other Merfolk. Problem is to make the deck that you end up having to sacrifice a lot of the interaction, and you're just going straight beef, which I don't think makes the deck any better. So so this is what we kind of discussed this on the, the ten minutes of magic, and, and my final point there was, I don't think going blue green straight up is worth it. I do think that the effort to go blue-green easily allows you to instead go Bant because right. you're playing fetches and shocklands now. And going Bant is possibly worth it. There are a ton of decks in Merfolk that are already going blue-white sometimes for Path to Exile as a removal spell for better sideboard cards. And that always felt a little bit worth it, but not totally there. But now that you have two different reasons to start being multiple colors, you have a pretty good argument from me that... It's worth doing both. And right. if you're going to do both, then and, and having good removal spell, having path in the deck makes it so that your aggressive threats are going to be protected better or get in more often. Um, I, I, I think that it definitely. Now, the one problem is playing path in and spreading seas is like bad. 
just right. actively bad. Yep. So you have to really consider that. But and maybe this is a deck that's not playing spreading seas as much. You know, I think there's different ways to really look at it. Um, or play spreading seas is more just for valuing making your creatures unblockable. I just think you become a. I think your I think your deck becomes a little bit less of what like the traditional Merfolk decks are doing, which is go wide with lords, try to get it with unblockable uh, spreading seas damage. And I think it becomes a much more. This is like a pound for pound, one of the best possible ways to play creatures that are going to be as big as possible, attacking as early as possible with a lot of redundancy. Sure. Uh, old Growth Dryad, one green, three, three. That sounds interesting. Druid, but it ran for growth to your opponent. <laughs> when Old Growth Dryad enters the battlefield, each opponent may search his or her library for a basic land card, put it on the battlefield, tap the shovel, his or her library. Uh, this won't see any play in Modern. No. I'm bringing it up because people think it's really exciting and I don't want to dash people's dreams. And if you can make this work or if they print cards that benefit your opponents from having more lands from you or putting lands into play, which exist, I can imagine it being somewhat of a, a decent play. Like yeah. uh, with uh, what's Traverse, not Traverse, uh, what's the guy who won white, you can tap him to search for any land if your opponent has more lands than you? Uh, weathered Wayfair. Yeah, Weathered Wayfair. Like a Weathered Wayfair deck that really wants to make sure they can Weathered Wayfair. Seems sweet. Seems sweet. Um. So yeah, I think there's some potential. Uh, maybe like a mystifying maze, not mystifying maze, mazes end deck. Right, all about it. Uh, but until that day, this won't see play. Fair enough. Shaper's Sanctuary, one green enchantment. Whenever a creature you control becomes a target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, you may draw a card. This card's bad. <laughs> this <laughs> card's like one of those cards that's a trap. Any new player will look at this and be like, "Ah, oh, it's cheap enough. I can put this in my deck. I'll draw a bunch of cards." It's, it, for me though, like it feels a little bit like hardened scales, and hardened scales was what we, you know, most people consider just a trap that wasn't going to see any play, and has seen weird fringe play now, uh, and saw a ton of play in standard. So I, I feel like this card is maybe a little bit better than you're giving it credit for, but I also don't know where I would put it. Right, exactly. It's it's, it's a tough man. It's a, it's, a, it's an enchantment that doesn't do anything. It's just yep. it doesn't actually affect the game, the board at all. Sure. They and, well, and the way it affects it is less good. Uh, the deck I could see this in is something where like a green white black deck that is trying that like knows that its opponents are going to kill its creatures but doesn't care too much about its creatures like it's not a combo deck it's just a f aggressive deck the only thing that like like okay, or an, uh, like a zoo deck think about um uh wild defiance yeah and how like that card the only time that card's ever been good was when people were like all right in certain builds of infect where i'm going to target my own guys i can make this work sure but the defensive side of it was just like well the, the point of wild defense was to just stop lightning bolt Right. It made it so creatures didn't die to lightning bolt. Totally. But yeah. All right. So moving on. Uh, Merfolk Branchwalker, Merfolk Scout. This is the green 2-1 Explorer Merfolk. We talked about this already. Uh, it, like when this it enters card. Battlefield Explores, in that Merfolk deck we discussed, is the reason green. I think Merfolk still needs one more green creature to Fair. really be, be worth considering, and I don't think we're there yet. Uh, growing rights of it, Lamak. Two green legendary enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, you may look at the top four cards of your library and put a creature card from that and put it into your hand. But the rest on the bottom of your library in any order, and then it flips into Gaia's Cradle. Uh, one green, you can tap for a green, or it can tap for a green for each creature you control. Uh, we talked about this quite a bit for elves. It's really, 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 really good in elves. It's I think, I think as, as a one of, or maybe as a two of in elves, I can see it. Like, I, But I don't think it replaces Collected Company. I think it's just Collected I just like Company's, it with Collected Company. Yeah, five and six. Oh my god. Well, we talked about how good it is, the idea of getting to play this, and then it flipping end of turn... And when it flips, because now you've got your now you've got your creatures, it now generates enough mana 
to cast Collected Company on your opponent's turn. Right. It gives you all the extra mana for it, which is crazy. Yeah. So I, I think this, it's a little bit win more. It ha- yeah, true. But it, it does draw you into creatures. Like, I think it's a ability when it comes into play is something that's worth considering. I think it might be a little bit of a trap. It is the most expensive rare in the set. It's like 16 bucks or something? Uh, right now, yeah, it's 16 bucks. Um, so I, I think there's something interesting here. Uh, I opened one at my pre-release. I didn't get to play with it. <laughs> uh, and it's sweet. I, I think elves definitely can see, I can see elves seeing using this as a, as a tool yep uh, i also can see uh counter company decks using it because it gets enough creatures in the play it, it, it does tutor you for a creature yeah and it's kind of a bad version of your combo like being able to just use this on walking ballista to just start just doing say, damage yeah. like as just a, a a fringe secondary option seems okay this with walking ballista in the right in the right deck the wide enough deck it seems very yeah. good like a, or even when you talked about it, the hardened scales deck that's not even using collected company yeah, that, like I think that also is kind of a sweet place for this because yep. you're with walking blister. This does a lot of sweet stuff. Totally. Um, Carnage Tyrant, green, green, and four dinosaur can't be countered. He- trample and hexproof seven six. I like this card. Yeah, I don't know how you beat this card if someone yeah. gets to cast it. <laughs> <laughs> like, you have to have Wrath of God or a variant of that, and that is the only way. Or Liliana of the Veil, and they have no other creature. But like out of a Titan Shift, anywhere that Thrun sees play, I can see this seeing play and probably be significantly better than Thrun. It's really big. Every time I've ever cast Thrun, I, I feel like my opponents has always had Lingering Souls since Thrun was printed. Right. Uh, this doesn't have that problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this card's just really big. It's like a, it's it's one of the biggest, most hexproofiest, most trampolist, uncounterablest things I've ever seen. Like this would be a very, very, very good mental magic card. This is like exactly the I kind mean, of card you want to cast because you like. Plus, if you're in green, theoretically you've done damage before turn six or yeah. before you cast this as a six drop, meaning that you most likely just need to attack with this twice. I mean, I guess whoever you're playing against the mental magic at this point in the game has access to a wrath, probably. Sure, it's always this the case. Yeah, I don't know mental magic how. Uh, in modern, though, yep. there are Titan Shift decks. There are decks that I can see casting this pretty conveniently. Is, it better, than, is it better than casting Primeval Titan? <laughs> no, it's a cyborg card. Yeah. Oh, it totally is a cyborg card. If, if my opponent is on, like, blue-white, which it looks like, based on the cards printed right in this set, this is, is going to be more common. Like This, this is, is counterable, much, though, right? No. Oh, it's uncounterable? Yeah, it cannot be countered, Trample Hexproof 7-6. <laughs> That's the point. If it was counterable, this would not be a consideration. Yeah. But literally, this is going to come into play unless they thought sees it. Yeah, it's sick. Or they kill you before 6. It's just, like, sweet, too. Carnage. It's, also car- it's called Carnage Tyrant? Yeah, and it's a, far- it's a... It's a great name. Yeah. So good. So sweet. All right. Uh, Call to Feast, 2 white, black. Sorcery, create 3 white, 1-1 one, one white vampire creature tokens with lifelink. Sorcery. Yeah. I think the black white tokens deck will consider this. I think getting like the lifelink on these tokens is something that's being relatively not kind of talked about, but lifelink is really good. Yeah. And casting this with intangible virtue and having casted a lingering soul the turn before seems sweet. I think this is better than some of the other token creation cards um, in white black, the more expensive ones. So yeah, that's where I'm at on it. I mean, do you think so? So you think that like even though it costs four, there's still a chance that that deck would want to invest. Like, is this better than Soren? I do not think this is better than Soren, but I don't know how many Sorens you want to play due to the legendary rules. Even though that has changed, I still think that affects themselves. Like you still can have two of the same one, so I don't. I think you can play this as a one of like two Sorens in this or three Sorens in this. Sure. Um, and I think this has in Esper ones where you can flash this back now with Snapcaster Mage. I think there's different places this has has value. Uh, I think it's very it's borderline. I don't I don't of the cards we're talking about. 
I like being able to flash it back with Smash I think customers. this is better than the unblockable Merfolk I decided to talk about for mm-hmm. a hot second. Do you think Battle Screech would be too good for Modern? I don't know what that card is. That's the other sweet white token maker. It's the old one from... Uh, Explain what it does. Judgment. Uh, it's it's white, white. It's white, white, two, sorcery, create uh, two... One one flying untapped bird tokens, and then it has flashback tap un tap three untapped white creatures you control. So oh, you, I know what you're talking about. Uh, so if you had one more token on the battlefield, it and you might cast be. it. It was really good in Vintage Cube. Yeah, I mean that card's good. Yeah, <laughs> with one creature on the battlefield and you cast masters, it, it's yeah. four for four. Yeah, it seems really good. Yeah, Probably four flyers for four. Yeah. Uh, all right, hostage taker, black blue. Two human pirate when hostage taker enters the battlefield, exile target artifact or creature until hostage taker taker leaves the battlefield. You may cast that card, and you can spend any color mana to play it. Uh, it's a 2-3. Um, a, this gives blue-black straight-up decks a way to get rid of enchantments. Yeah, or what's the deal with blue? Of, sorry, not enchantments. Artifacts, which the is, like, something that's relevant. <laughs> is blue-black now the worst two-color combination as a straight two-color combo in modern's history? Has there, like, what was the last time a straight blue-black deck was really good? I mean, Grixis is, I mean, obviously not a straight two-color nah, deck, but, like, other, there's got to be other worst two-color combos. Red-white. Red White has seen mm, aggro decks, I guess. Like, there's like Burn that's not playing green, I guess. That's just like the Boros aggro's decks that people have played. Uh, but yeah, it's true. That's not. Red White hasn't been like super good. Red Black by itself hasn't really done anything. Yeah, it's true. It's true again. Sort of aggro decks. It's in other colors, and I would say. Yeah, but I can see where you're going from. Yeah, I mean, it definitely blue has. Green, if you. It just can count infect, which you can't. So no, Blue Green's good. Yeah, no, I don't know. I mean, like, this card is pretty sweet. I think, like, it does something. The fact that you get to cast it yourself, so you get to steal the thing, so you get to eat something and get it if you want. Yeah. I mean, it costs four. As a four drop, it, it you know, there's always that four drop slot in some decks. This could be it, but I, I'm I'm skeptical until proven otherwise. Yep. Registore Alpha, red, green, three, dinosaur. Other dinosaurs you control have haste. When Registore Alpha enters the battlefield, create a three, three dinosaur creature token with trample. This card's sweet. <laughs> it's it's kind of like a, if Bloodbraid Elf met um, what's the five drop makes three three when it dies? Thrag Tusk. Yeah, it's like a little bit of that meets that drag broodmate dragon. So it's like three different cards that are all classically good in standard and sometimes good in modern. Uh, I just like that it's a big dinosaur that gets you lots of power and it looks like a big dinosaur on the on, like. It just doesn't it just seem awesome? Yeah, no, I would. I love this card. Yeah, I love dinosaurs. I'm all about it. My my, you know, can't spoil what my favorite movie is, so we'll keep going. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so yeah, this is great. Uh, I think chances of seeing play modern is limited i think that it's a little too expensive but there might be a red green deck that might be interested in this people effect. think this is good it's yep. going for eight bucks right now yep uh sentinel but i think that's standard i think this in standard this is just an all-star fair uh sentinel tome we're in the artifact land now we just did gold cards those are the, the three gold cards uh sentinel tome one colorless uh when sentinel tome enters the battlefield scry one exile sentinel totem exile all cards from all graveyards this card's just not as good as, like, Relic or Spellbomb uh, or any of the others. You, I don't know if I agree. I think it's not as good as Spellbomb if you have access to black, but mm. I think the Spellbomb effect that you might be looking for being a value off of one mana that lets you then just use it for free because you have to use mana to use Relic. Right. So I think there, there's reasons to play this card. Yeah, I I, I, get, I I just think, like, you only want three to four slots in your sideboard for that kind of effect anyway, and I think sure. like, this card's just not as good. All right. Dowsing Dagger. Two. When Dowsing Dagger enters the battlefield, target creates two zero two green plant tokens with Defender. It gets the equip creature gets plus two plus one to equip it costs two. 
Whenever a quick creature deals combat to a player, you may transform it. When it transforms, it becomes a Lotus Veil. Add three mana of any one color to your mana pool. Sweet. Uh, I think this... I think it's fine. The, the, the ones that I you think the issue we have, again, is that yeah. these flip cards seem like some of them have to be good, and I am unsure of which one. Equipment in Modern has classically been not that great. This is worse than any of the swords. It gives them two tokens. It has a lot of stuff going against it. It does flip into Lotus Veil, though. <laughs> yeah, my, I think that the equipment-driven flip lands are less good than the enchantments because you have to have a live creature. You have to have the mana to equip. You have to get through. Totally. Um, if Stoneforge Mystic was legal in Modern, is this too good with the Stoneforge Mystic. No, they still get the two zero twos. So yeah, like, I, I it's, think it's still bad. Yeah, it, it's like they you have to have like so many different things that push this through. I think um, we had multiple people in the Facebook group that you could, should all go follow. Uh, when this card was printed, we were having literally a discussion about should Stoneforge Mystic be unbanned in Modern, and people were like, well, now that this card is printed, no way can they print un unbanned. Nah. And no, I think this is totally fine to. Yeah. Yep. All right. Uh, Sorceress Spyglass two. As sorceress, two mana, artifact, when it enters the battlefield, look at an opponent's hand, then choose any card name. Activated abilities of sorcerers with the chosen name can't be activated unless they're mana abilities. This card's sweet. This I like is, this card a lot. It's interesting, because, like... Yeah, it's a meddling mage meets a p pithing needle. Right, but I would choose pithing needle over this most of the time. If you had Gitaxian probes still, but you don't, so... Well, but I, like, yes... On the play, turn one, Pithing Needle is worse than this card. Or Pithing Needle is worse than this card. But as a person who is very focused on modern, I in general know what my opponent is doing by the end of their turn. One at worst, the beginning of their turn two. And Pithing Needle is only really relevant at that point. The only time I think, can you do a non-land? Any card name. So... And the problem with this is, like, the thing that Pithing Needle would be sick to be able to see their hand is, is, like, to get them on fetch lands. And this is too late to do that. So That's not true. That's I guess not true. on your turn two, if you're on the play, this is better. So on the play, I think this is – there's an argument for this over Pithing Needle. On the draw, I think Pithing Needle is just better. I think, like, on, I think you can totally play this on turn two on the play in a lot of decks and just, like, get way ahead. Um, okay. okay. And Treasure Map is the next card. Artifact, two mana. Uh, artifact, uh, one tap, scry one, put a landmark counter on treasure map. Then if there are three or more landmark counters, remove those counters, transform treasure map, and create three colors, treasure artifact tokens. And on the other side, it has sacrifice a treasure draw card. Card sweet. I, yeah, I like this might be the one. <laughs> and obviously, we've said this about every one of these cards. Right. But the two mana to get a thing that just scries every turn and then just ramps you. Don't, totally, yeah. Like three mana, but this is not the, the one game. that this is not the one that if you control ten treasures, you win the game. No, 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 no. This this just when it flips, it starts drawing you cards by sacking treasure. So yeah. like, the back end is fine, but like this literally has like almost suspend. Whenever you remove a suspend counter, you can scry, and then it flips into four mana. Yeah, right. Or draw a card and two mana. Like, I, I think that's... This was the first one that was spoiled, and this one was definitely on my radar from the minute it was spoiled. Yeah, it's, I, it's I pretty like sweet. A lot. Yep. Yeah. Uh, next is Primal Amulet. We're going to be talking about... Mo this is the artifact section, so there's a lot of these. There's five flip ones. I think one of them I didn't include, and I forget which one. It just didn't seem good enough. Gotcha. Uh, four mana, instant and sorcery spells you cast. You cast, cast one less to cast. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, put a charge counter on Primal Amulet. If there are four or more charge counters, you flip it. And 
You have one mana of any color to your mana pool. If you use that to cast an instant or sorcery, double that instant or sorcery. Um, the cost reduction on the front side is, is what makes this vaguely interesting. It's expensive. I don't think Storm will play this. Uh, and that's the one deck that would really take advantage of it. So I don't know exactly what the best place for it is. Yeah, I agree. I, I talked about this when it was spoiled. And I, you know, it was yeah, somewhere. Yep. Uh, and now we're in the lands. And there are two. And then we're done. First is Field of Ruin. Land. Tap. Produ uh, produce a colorless. Uh, two mana. Tap it. Sacrifice it. Destroy target non-basic land. And both of you get a land uh, and put it into the battlefield. So it's a ghost quarter. But for two mana instead of for free you get a land and they get a land instead of you just losing the land. All right. Um, and I think that this has potential seeing play. We talked about that the format needs more ways to deal with lands. I think the fact that this doesn't put you down on a land version of Ghost Quarter is something to really consider. Uh, on the other hand, I think three mana to do this is expensive. It's I would have wanted this yeah. to be a one mana thing. I don't know why it couldn't have been for one mana. Yeah, I agree. It's a parallel effect. I don't think they really needed to like dumb it down. Uh, on the other hand... I, like, you don't always necessarily need to take out the land early. Sometimes it's about getting a problem land out. Sometimes sure. it's about just, like, they've hit Tron and, like, you, you have, like, somewhat stabilized. And you're just like, okay, now I'm set up. I just need to make sure they don't just, like, keep powering out threats. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think it's fine. Um, I don't expect that at this cost it's going to push through. I think it's I think it's probably one man off. But if this one did push through because... Yeah, because, because there is, like, some real value. If you think about, like, playing this in a in like a Jeskai deck where you're playing end of turn mm -hmm. and you're just sitting waiting to cast a spell and then you don't cast a spell and you just activate this end of turn. Like that seems fine to me. Yeah. Agreed. You know, there's that's, that's definitely, it doesn't put you, doesn't put you behind the times. So, right. right. Uh, the last card of this set that we'll be talking about is unclaimed territory. This is a land as it enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. You may tap it to produce any color of mana or a colorless mana, or you can produce the cost any color mana as long as you're casting that chosen creature type. Yeah, this card's sweet. Uh, I think in Merfolk or Elves, it's not going to be super important. I think Cavern of Souls' uncounterability clause is more important. But I think in decks that are trying to do tribal in more than one color, so vampires in black red or black white red or right. uh, other, other, other tribal decks, this then becomes much relevant. In the Merfolk deck we talked about, that's three color because being able to use this as a gold land is super significant. Um, the fact that you can, between um, Cavern yep. of Souls, this, and... What's the name of the elemental land? The by any color to cast sure, elemental yeah. spells. Uh, you now have twelve lands that for that can cast elementals at any color. Yeah, you can legit you can legitimately build five color elemental elementals in modern now with like no concern whatsoever to life loss or ever not hitting your 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 lands. Sure. The only issue is that you can't cast spells in the deck of multiple colors because you're playing all of these like creature lands. But if you are playing like an uh, like an entirely creature driven deck where ev everything is like a creature effect. Uh, you could totally get away with it, like yeah. Pillar of the Parents and all these things. Yeah, I think I think it, it's definitely an interesting thing. So yeah, so that's that's our our set review for Ixalan. Those are all the cards we think have any potential to maybe see play in modern, plus ones that people are talking about that we think don't. Right. Um, 
you know, before we get into our little movie thing, I uh, want to make sure you guys follow the podcast on Twitter and on Facebook. We are the official Master of Modern Group on Facebook, and we are at the MMCast on Twitter. I am at Kess Wiley on uh, t- Twitter. I'm at Ben Bateman Media. Uh, we are also on Instagram as all of those things, uh, at, the, at the MMCast, at Ben Bateman Media, and at Kess Wiley. Uh, we are also on Collected.Company. That is our home base. That is our website. You go there, check us out with the Command Zone. Our sister podcast is also there. They make awesome Commander content, and they do the Game Night Show, which is amazing, um, and, and like the hard work they put into that show is great so definitely go and check that out um last but not least uh starting in mid-october uh the game my the game uh, my company made called uh super party battle which is a a party game version of magic is going to be available and and pre-orders go up soon and so i want to make sure if you keep checking those 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 social media places uh for call outs that when it's going to be available make sure to go check it out and we'll do a little bit probably of a breakdown of what the game is uh as we get closer to release uh and that's that's all the call outs i know of there we have it. Yep. Um, um, we're so going to get into this thing right now, guys. By the way, Alex and I are going to start talking about movies. If you like hearing us talk about movies, a couple things. Alex has come on uh, Action Movie Anatomy, my movie podcast, a couple times recently. You can go find that on the Popcorn Talk Network. You can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, any of the places to download stuff. Um, you can go watch or listen to the episodes. But also, um, there you can go You can go enjoy this conversation about the fifty your 50 favorite movies because on the Action Movie Anatomy Facebook page, uh, which is you know available. You can go find it. This was a thread that was started very recently, where a good like fifty or sixty of us all started posting our lists and going and interacting about it. So go check that out. Um, so we're gonna do five each. We're gonna count down our five, and uh, we're, we'll, we'll just. Do you want to like go back and forth? Or yeah, do let's you... do it back and forth. Okay. All right. S- number fifty. My number fifty is Hot Rod. Uh, oh. The comedy with Andy Samberg, yeah. two thousand seven. Akiva Schaefer directed it. Um, Yorma Tacone. It's like. Andy Samberg, like, really breaking through. This is the movie that put Danny McBride on the map, really. Like, the Foot Fist way did, but everybody remembers this is Rico in this movie. Sure. Uh, and it's Bill Hader, and it's got Ian McShane as his dad, Sissy Spacek as his mom. This movie's hilarious. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's People got love this movie. all kinds of great 80s throwback stuff. It, 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 it's one of my favorite comedies of all time. Sure. Uh, my number 50 is Ocean's Eleven. Uh, I mean, the cast is insane, and a lot of those people, like you, don't realize it, are super famous now, but weren't when this movie came out. Obviously, the fir- the main three characters of they were uh, less George famous. Clooney, uh, Matt Damon, and Brad Pitt were obviously very famous, but like they were less famous. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's definitely uh, I love these movies. I, I, this one specifically, I think I watched it 30 times once on a vacation because it was like a running right the way pay-per-view worked for the, at that point in hotels was that they would just play the movie continuously and right. so whenever we were just in the hotel we would start watching it and then it'd be like well, do you want to continue and i was like 10 yeah so i didn't realize that it cost nine dollars every time we said yes Jeez. uh so we watched it a lot and yeah. cost this movie was great it's like it's very entertaining it's like playing on all three of those guys like what makes all three of those guys great yeah and it's, it's also like it's established what a heist movie should be like pretty much every heist movie that's come out since this movie has come out has been compared to this movie. Yeah, well, and also like we, I, I say, inc- yeah, I talk a lot about how uh, that that, that uh, George Clooney is like perhaps the greatest, smartest guy in the room of all time. He's like he, he and Denzel are pretty much the two best, smartest guys in the room that okay. have ever lived. And this is this is the height of Clooney, the smartest guy in the room. Right. Like he is the smartest guy in the room by a mile, Fair. always. Uh, uh, my number 49 is Just Friends. Uh, really? Yeah. Love Just Friends. Uh, <laughs> Ryan Reynolds in a fat suit. Uh, this is one of those stupid, stupid comedies that it turns out when you talk to people, everybody kind of has a soft spot for. I love this movie. It's Ryan yeah. Reynolds' best role he's ever been in other than Deadpool. It's, it's this and Deadpool are the b- best two things he ever did. He's Not a Van Wilder fan? 
He's hilarious in Just Friends. I don't okay. know if you've watched it. Anna Ferris at the top of her game. Sure. I don't know if you got a lot of you guys remember Ostriker, Chris Klein from uh, American Pie, but he's got one of the best roles in this whole movie as Dusty Dinkelman. He's just remarkably funny. I read this script before it was made. Just Actually, Friends? This, yeah, uh, when I worked at Innovative Artists, which is yeah. the talent agency I worked for and interned at during college, uh, one of the first scripts I think I read was Just Friends. It's very funny. I, it's like a very stupid movie, but go watch it. You'll laugh because okay. Ryan Reynolds uh, is great. My number 49 is Snatch. Uh, this is good. probably the best, if not, not not the only good one, but that era, is this is the peak of what's-his-face's career. Guy Ritchie. Guy Ritchie's career. Uh it, it's another heist movie. I mean, I'm ending, you know, the the first two movies on this, the this the heist movie block. But uh, love this movie. I mean, like it, it does a really good job of having different cast members that all have different storylines that all kind of come together at the end. I think this is one of Brad Pitt, if not Brad Pitt's best movie. No, um, no, no, no. You you have a higher Brad Pitt movie on your list. That's a much better. Movie that's fair. Okay, that's fair. Uh, Brad Pitt is great in this movie. Uh, I think this is. I'm gonna keep making the statement, then we're gonna find other ones. Jason Statham's best movie. Maybe this this movie I have I want to go back and watch this at some point I haven't watched it since theaters it's a notoriously overrated movie for the same exact reasons we were talking about in the era we were talking about I don't know if I agree with you I think this movie is really 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 good people love Snatch I yeah. just there's a TV show based on it it's just one of those movies where like well you said you've only seen it since theaters so how can you judge it correctly no, we're gonna right. be very judgy about you're, these you're, lists. you're absolutely right yeah. I just like what's happened with Snatch is that like years and years and years have passed and you've seen the body of work of this director and all the gimmicks that he relied on. And most of the movies he's made since are super gimmicky, which it's hard to go back and look at this movie, I think, and, and not feel not, like... No, no, not notice the gimmicks. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Uh, 48. Number 48 for me is Transformers, the animated movie. Okay. Mine's animated, too. 86. Judd Nelson plays the voice of Hot Rod. Uh, you have Robert Stack as the voice of Ultra Magnus. You have Orson Welles doing a voice in this movie. This movie's great. Uh, great, great piece of trivia. If any of you guys watch Glow, the wrestling show... Uh, the theme song, Dare, by Stan Bush, from this movie. And the song, You Got the Touch, that song, is from this movie also, written for the soundtrack. Huh, interesting. Yeah, shows up in Boogie Nights. Uh, number, mine's Beauty and the Beast. Oh, really? Yeah. What's well, that movie? It's this movie, Disney <laughs> made it. It's about people in French countryside. Yeah. Uh, the movie's great. The music's great. It's gorgeous. Yeah. I, it is in many people's top favorite disney movie of all time it it's is in, in my golden, top three it's, it's in the golden run man gold, yep it's uh it's the second one right it goes it goes little mermaid beauty and the beast uh lion king or aladdin lion king is the uh, is like the four is the real golden run uh, yeah i think that's exactly 89 91 92 94 yeah um that's the that's the run and then and then pocahontas comes the next year and that's when the decline of the golden age happens 95 and then mulan's 98 and, and hercules is 97 well, hercules is a I mean, it's that's a mess of a movie. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, that is the run because Im immediately before that is Oliver and Company's '88, yeah. and The Great Mouse Detective's '86. So yeah, love The Great Mouse Detective. Yeah, but not as much as Beauty and the Beast. But yeah, those four. You're, yep. you're I correct. still, I still, I believe I know Be Our Guest by heart still. Yeah, that run uh, of four is the is the most famous. All right, what's your number forty-seven? Oh, my number forty-seven is so sweet. The Edge, nineteen ninety-seven. <laughs> Alec Baldwin, uh, Alec Baldwin, and Anthony Hopkins. This is the okay. one about where the the Anthony Hopkins is a billionaire who's married to a supermodel, and his supermodel wife it has like having an affair with their photographer friend, their like best friend Alec Baldwin, who's like a total schmuck. Okay. And uh, they're all on vacation together, and it's a photo shoot, and so uh, they go on like a like a helicopter ride. Alec Baldwin and Anthony Hopkins do together. The plane goes down. This is like right at the beginning of the movie. Sure. And the premise of the movie is basically the two of them and this other dude being chased by a man-eating bear in the woods. Okay. And they have to survive. 
and it's amazing. It, the, the best part about this movie, I will tell you, is that if you go back to like the mid '90s, I've talked to you about this before. The trailer voices. Yep. Uh, th- this is the perfect era for me. It's my favorite. Where like somebody would write these like great catchphrases to start the the trailers with. So it starts out with like the model to you know getting taken pictures, and it's like a photographer with an eye for beauty, and then it like shows <laughs> Anthony Hopkins, and it's like a man who lives through books, and you're just like, oh, I'm so in on this movie right now. It's Truly one of – it should be higher on this list. I love this movie so much. And if you've missed it, go watch it because it's impossible not to love this movie. It's yeah. great. Yeah. It's phenomenal. Uh, my number 47 is A League of Their Own. Also great. Uh, this – I mean, everyone is on fire on this. It's like one – I like watched it recently again as well on an airplane like I think a month ago. And it was I think back from Hong Kong and halfway through the flight. I, you can like turn to me and I'm just bawling my eyes out at the la- end when they're all old and bawling my eyes out. I mean, I like one tear, but uh, <laughs> the movie's great. I mean, like if th- those who don't know it, it's about a uh, woman's baseball during world war two. So like all the young men that would be normally playing baseball are shipped off. And so to like create entertainment and the good luck for the people back home working for the cause of world war two, they created women's baseball and, and yeah, uh, it has Tom Hanks, of course it does. At peak, peak likability Tom Hanks, even though he's not that likable in this movie. I mean, peak, like, yeah. It's peak Hanks, though, no question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Gina Davis at a peak. Laurie Petty, uh, who is also in, I think, one of your favorite movies that we'll eventually get to in this long run. Is uh, is League of Their Own the one with Madonna? Yeah, Madonna. Yeah, right? Yeah, but she's and like, and Rosie O'Donnell. Are like is the Queen BFS. Latifah, too? No. No, she's not in it? No. And Cusack is in it. Yeah, yeah, here you go. Yeah, yeah look at this. Yeah, yeah. And it's directed by Penny Marshall, of course. Oh, yeah, the great Penny Marshall. Yep. This is one of her triumphs. Yep, love this movie. Uh, yeah, what's your 46? Uh, my number 46 is the best Mission Impossible movie, Mission Impossible 3. Okay. It's, uh, it's the Philip Seymour Hoffman one. Uh, here's the pieces of trivia about this movie that are great. Uh, number one, this was the first movie to come out after Philip Seymour Hoffman won his lone Oscar for Capote. He's okay. the villain. Uh, he's a great, great, great villain, a highly underrated action movie villain. Uh, this is the... The best action movie acting of Tom Cruise's career. Many people don't remember this film, and I'll tell you exactly why. It's because in 2005, War of the Worlds came out. They went on a press tour, and Tom Cruise did his whole like Scientology, Katie Holmes, Oprah couch jumping uh. thing. So when this movie came out the next summer, there was a huge downturn in interest for Tom Cruise, and so people didn't watch this. And this movie got written off by most people as the bad one. This is directed by J.J. Abrams. This is the breakthrough J.J. Abrams action movie, and it has... The single best scene in any of the Mission Impossible movies, which is the opening the opening interrogation where Cruz is tied up in a chair and Philip Seymour Hoffman is going to count to 10. And when mm-hmm. he gets to 10, if he hasn't told him where the rabbit's foot is, he's going to shoot Michelle Monaghan in the face, his okay. wife. And it's the best acting in a non – like the best acting by Cruz ever is in Magnolia. Sure. But I would, I would honestly say this is a, a top three or top five scene ever for him, and it's easily the best scene in any Mission Impossible movie. It's, it's like heart-wrenching to watch. Sure. It's how the movie opens – it's so good. Yeah, no, I love that movie. I, I, I'll give you a lot of credit for that one. I'm not. Su- I'm actually surprised it's this low. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of good movies. Uh, so my number, my number, forty six, and I believe this is these are the last two movies we're going to talk about today. Yep. Uh, is ten things I hate about you. Uh-huh. Uh, I think I and Heath Ledger shows up a few times on this list, but I think this is the best '90s high school movie uh, by a, a wide margin. And if you look at the, like Heath Ledger, Julia Stiles, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt, like, and then that one guy? No, Larissa Olyanek is the the fourth okay. main cast member, and then the other guy is David Krumholtz, which is the Jewish elf from 
the Santa Claus movies. Okay. <laughs> he was like in everything for a while. And then there's like the bad guy in all of these 90s movies, which is Andrew Keegan. Right, um, Andrew Keegan. That's what yeah, I was trying yeah. to think of. He's like a local guy. I see him around all the time. Um, Allison Janney is in this movie. Yes. Uh, I love this movie. I mean, it's it's The Taming of the Shrew. So those who don't know, it's a remake of the, the Shakespeare play, A Taming of the Shrew. Uh, and basically... It's like Heath Ledger early. I don't think really there was much. Early. Like it's like the first real Heath Ledger movie. It's the first Joseph Gordon-Levitt movie after he came off of um, uh, Thirty Rock or Third uh, Third Rock from Third the Rock Sun. Third Rock from the Sun. So like this is early James Joseph Gordon-Levitt, early Heath Ledger. Um, it's like it's kind of what put Julia Stiles on the map. Like all three of them, and it's like the ending of the career for Larissa Olyanek because she was like Alex Mack for a while and was in a bunch of stuff, and then she just did this and then never did anything else. There's like so so there's like for Ledger's career before this, there's the Australian stuff. He's in like three Australian movies, and then the big early credits in America that people remember him for: uh, Knight's Tale, Patriot, Monsters Ball. They're all in the two years following this. I think yeah. it's, I think that's two thousand, two thousand, two thousand one. Night's Tale might be 99, but this is, I think, the first thing that really American audiences knew Heath Ledger from. Sure. And don't worry, we'll talk about Night's Tale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not in today's episode. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, great memories from childhood watching this movie. This is kind of where my head was high school. The scene where he's, like, singing on, uh, on the bleachers is obviously great. Like, I, there's a lot of just good stuff. Music is wonderful in this movie. Music in all of these. I did, like, a 90s teenage movie, like, rewatch a couple years ago. Yeah, it's the best. <laughs> He's showing me a picture of a night sales poster. Um, so yeah, so so, so that's it for our top five. That's fifty to forty six, and we'll keep going every episode moving yeah, forward. We'll do it. Uh, all right, thanks everybody. Uh, we appreciate you guys listening. Uh, obviously, Ben knows significantly more about movies based on the fact that he knows the directors and actors in every movie because <laughs> uh, he's me- memorizing them to be in a quiz Thank show. Thank you for your <laughs> attention. <laughs> or I just you know know all about movies. All right, so. Cool. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week. And we already did all the shout-outs, so we love you. Bye, guys.